Hey everyone, this is the Detoxicity Podcast, and I'm Mike Joseph. Super excited to be launching this podcast, and because it was really important to me to start off talking to someone in the mental health world, my first guest is Dr. Mike Friedman. Uh, We'll be talking about his practice and what draws him to psychology. Uh, We'll also explore things that he finds interesting about communication, the lessons that he's learned along the way, and for those of you who haven't watched or completed Breaking Bad yet, there are some spoilers towards the beginning of this interview. Also, what the hell are you waiting for? That show's been on forever. Therapy has been incredibly valuable to me over the years, and my one regret regarding it is that I started so late. I didn't start seeing a mental health professional until I was 31, and by that point, I'd gotten to a place in my life where I felt like I was literally about to snap. And there's some cultural stigma associated with that. There's some, you know, you're a man and and you're supposed to be strong and you're not supposed to be talking to people, stigma attached to that. Thankfully, in the years since, therapy has become a bit more normalized culturally, but there is still very much a stigma associated with seeing a mental health worker for many folks, and not to mention the very real fact that lots of individuals and families simply don't have the financial resources for regular mental health care. If your issue is the former and not the latter, I hope this episode is able to underscore how important and necessary therapy can be for just about everyone. I'm of the mind that no matter how much you think you have your shit together, an impartial observer is a great thing to have. Anyway, Dr. Michael Friedman is a clinical psychologist who offers therapy to individuals and couples in New York City and New Jersey. He is a media personality. Dr. Mike's blog appears in Psychology Today or on psychologytoday.com. And he has written articles for CNN and USA Today. And he has appeared in NPR, on the Wall Street Journal Radio Network, and on CBS News Sunday Morning. He's a friend of mine. He's a great guy. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. So uh, without further ado, folks, this is my interview with Dr. Mike. My name is Mike Friedman. I'm a clinical psychologist. I work with adults uh, in a range of, or across a range of issues, anything from depression, anxiety, eating and weight issues, uh, couples distress, um, people managing physical health issues. Um, those are those are probably the main areas. I, on the side, I, I write uh, for various outlets, uh, Psychology Today or Compulsive Magazine. Uh, where I'll interview different people about, uh, you know, things that they do regarding uh, managing emotional issues or how they can be creative or um, how it is that they have struggled in some ways to get to where they are. And uh, I'm going to be starting a website uh, based on a a therapeutic philosophy called Hardcore Humanism, which is uh, basically kind of a bit of a conglomerate of the different ways that I've practiced over the years uh, that really focuses on two basic questions, which is who are you and what are you doing here in the world and how can I help you get there? Um, and that may sound very simple and straightforward, but what I've found over the years is that a lot of therapy can get very convoluted um, and old school humanistic traditions were very much about removing all of the barriers that people have to uh, becoming the person that they want to be. And at least my experience has been that, you know, if you don't really know those things, and there are a lot of things that can interfere with figuring out the answers to those questions, it, it can, you can get really twisted in a way that it's hard to come out of. Because if you have no sense of, of who you are or where you want to go in the world or what's your purpose in being here, then it's really hard to organize your life. Sure. And so, uh, that is that is me, I guess, in a nutshell. What made you decide to become a therapist? I don't, I don't, 
I don't really know. There, it wasn't. It wasn't. I decided to become a therapist. I think it was a more gradual process. I, I went to college without ever intending on doing anything in, in this field. I think I was going to major in psych just because that seemed kind of interesting to me. I had taken a psych class uh, previously, so I was like, okay, I'll major in it. But I, I didn't. I didn't think I would do that professionally necessarily. And what was, what started to happen was like each time I took a psychology class, it was interesting to me, whereas other ones weren't really me. Like I could, I could take like a philosophy class and I was like, oh, this is cool. Or a history class and I was like, oh, this is cool. But for some reason, the, the psychology classes just felt more me. And I don't, I don't really know why. It just, it just resonated. And then one of the things that happened was I had taken abnormal psych and I had developed a relationship with the, um, the teaching assistant it's uh and who you know helping you know I'd go with my papers and you know because he, he provided that and then in talking with him and seeing what he did you know I, I was like wow I kind of this research in psychology seems very interesting and then when I got involved with that lab um, and I learned about things having to do with depression or optimism and pessimism and, and body image my first studies were in body image in men and it was just, I just sort of felt like this whole world opened up. And then after that, I just, I just kind of, I was like, wow, this is really what I want to do. Um, the thing that was kind of a little tricky was that it, in order to get to grad school, you, you really, it was kind of told that you really need to do research. And so that was a big part of my motivation at the time. I was like, oh, I, I think that this might be what I want to do. And I want to get into grad school, so let me do the research thing. But then as I did it, I was like, wow, no, this is actually really, really what I want to do. And it was only later that I discovered that doing clinical work was more what I wanted to do. So it was, I, I really, it was kind of very, very convoluted how I went up here. A circuitous path to a circuitous that led you to non linear today. Linear yeah. is for losers. You know? <laughs> I feel like a lot of people end up where they are through kind of a series of random coincidental events. Well, that was the that was the reason why I found Breaking Bad so appealing was because, you know, it wasn't the shaved head. Well, I think we all know that. <laughs> that was the real reason. But but the but the the thing that was so interesting was that I remember I did I did an interview a while back and there was someone who had who had committed uh, something of a it was well, it was a crime like out in California and when I was interviewed about it, they were asking me like why like why? Like what's the reason why this person did it? And I remember being like, it's, it's that it's so it's so seductive the idea of like there's a reason why people do things, but most things feel very much the way things happen in Breaking Bad. Like it wasn't like oh there's this like really you know sweet nice chemistry teacher who then becomes a you know a, you know a murderous sociopath. Like it was it was basically like no he had had this history and. You know, his friends had, had kind of fucked him over and then he, you know, but he was going on with his life and he was married to a very nice woman. But then he had a special needs kid and the special needs kid means that, like, you know, he had certain, you know, responsibilities that were of no particular consequence then. But then, you know, he found out that he might have cancer and now all of a sudden that became much more important because he would need more money for the kid. So he runs into this person who, you know, knows about drugs and then, you know, which is like crystal meth. And he thinks, well, maybe I'll just do this once. And then someone tries to kill him and he defends himself. And then all of a sudden he's good at it. And then, you know, 
you know, however many seasons and episodes, he's this kingpin. And, right. and to me, I, I found that very powerful because it, it really is how a lot of people wind up making decisions. And I think the reason why I also like it is that it's much more validating uh, in, in explana- as an explanation because I think that when people think like there's a reason, they always say, you know, oh, it's because you have an intrapsychic conflict or you have a trauma or you have a certain thought style, like you're, you know, you have cognitive distortions or whatever. And it's like, it's just, it's just to me, that's very, um, it's belittling, like to a degree to reduce people to a thing. And I think that my experience has been that people wind up in either better or worse situations because they make a series of decisions based on the information that's presented to them. And sometimes they go in the right direction. Sometimes they go in the wrong directions. Um, and you don't always know how the movie's going to end until the very end. And so that that's something that, in terms of the when we're talking about like hardcore humanism, like that's something that's very appealing about that for me is that I don't want people to come in or to you know interact with our site or whatever and feel as though oh this is going to be another example of a mental health professional who pathologizes. Maybe, you know, like, oh, I've got this, I've got that, I'm being judged. You want to say, no, like, where, like, just where are you at and how do we help you navigate this? Um, so that, that I, I think that that experience for me of winding up wearing professionally definitely is educational on that front that things don't always work out exactly as planned. Why do you think people are so reductive in their thinking? What you said really strikes a chord with me because I, to a certain point, I think a lot of other people just are kind of conditioned to believe that B happens because A happened, as opposed to B happens because of perhaps some of A, plus a variety of different things that can come from wherever, can be random, can be calculated, can be a whole bunch of of different reasons. I I think one of my my graduate school professors said it best, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, (laughs) but he said that a lot of our field is based on a junior high logic error. Like... A implies B, so that there are certain things, like whether it's trauma or certain types of thinking or something biological that can lead to B consequence, you know, so in other words, like some trauma can lead to depression, but that doesn't mean that the presence of depression implies that you have trauma. Right. And I think that a lot of times when, when it's, it's, I think people just in everything, I mean, stereotypes, et cetera, like it's, it's just easier to reduce because it in theory, makes things more understandable, but I think, as you and I would probably both agree, it does the opposite. I think it gets us farther away from how to actually explain things. And I think that it makes it also, in the meantime, there's a lot of people that want to thinking like, that's, like, you call someone a jock, or you call someone a nerd, or you call, you know, you're, you're this religion, you're that religion, and it's like, yeah, but like, I don't know, is that the whole thing, not really. We but all contain multitudes, man. We all, yeah, and, 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 and those things are dynamic, and there's, you know, even within those, within those, you know, sort of stereotypical labels, there's so much that's not, you know, that, that's heterogeneous. And sure. so I think, I think that um, it's just, it's appealing because we have so much data, and how on earth do we understand anything like when you're when you're going to a, a library it's like what book do you go to? you know towards you got like when you go to you know like what do you when you go to a record store if there are record stores anymore like what, what music you know do you do you do you look for so i think that there's always that tendency to try to 
you know, try to make things a little bit easier. And I guess in some ways it's good to have some guidelines, but I think when it comes to trying to help people figure out uh, their path in life, I think it, it, it hurts more than it helps. How, what would you say is the percentage of uh, people that come to you that are men versus women or other? It's pretty split for, for people who feel like they're, they're, um, they have a single gender. I think it's pretty split. And then the people who feel like there's some kind of combination or they're, they're not exactly the more fluid identity. Um, but it's probably, you know, that, that's the, those people as well. But I think, I think it's probably split in terms of men and women. This is my thinking. And I think this is kind of the popular thought of thinking is that it's more difficult for guys to seek help than it is for women. Is that, have you found that? I, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'd have to look, there's probably, there's probably like some kind of scientific research on that that would say an actual answer. So, but my, my impression, and also it may be in part because, um, you know, if I get referrals or people see me online, more men may seek me out, you know, whether it's because I'm mad, because I've worked with someone who's a guy who, who they know or something like that. But I, I feel like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty even. I think that in this day and age, I think it's become more quote unquote acceptable for a, a guy to seek out help. Um, and also, also, I think because a lot of the language that we'll use to describe mental health th- uh, issues has become different. I think that there's more of an acknowledgement of the, the biological or the medical basis of a lot of issues or, you know, people can frame it in terms of like, I'm having trouble managing stress. So there's, there's, I think both people have been more accepting of men, you know, having issues to begin with. But I also think that we've developed like a, a fairly complex and sophisticated language so that you can kind of explain to yourself what's happening, however, is most comfortable, which doesn't matter to me because as long as you reach out for the help that you want, you know, we'll, you can we'll call frame it whatever the yeah, hell you want. It's, it's whatever it is, like as long as you're as long as you're getting what you need. Um, so I I felt like it, it over the course of you know I've been I don't know like I guess like twenty years or so that I've been seeing people like not including grad school it feels pretty even to me at this point. Um, I'm sure it, it's that, that, you know, there's, who knows if that's an accurate assessment, but that's, that's how it feels to me. People come into my office. How does, are there any situations that come up that are more common to men in, in your vision? Like, have you seen kind of repeated instances of guys coming in for a specific issue I mean, I think my, my experience is that most people kind of directly or indirectly come in for relationship issues. I, I think I think there are obviously circumstances where people come in, like let's say you have like panic attacks or something like that, where it's very, very specific. It's, it, it feels kind of localized almost. Um, but I think that if I were saying more generally, I think people come in for issues of how they relate to people. That's that's probably the, the biggest thing that I'll see that, that feels fairly consistent across the board. I mean, I think, I, you know, I practice in, in Manhattan, and so I think that one of the other things that I'll see is that, and I think, you know, unfortunately this, is, this cuts across sex and gender, which is that, you know, the, this city, like a lot of cities, is designed entirely to see 
you know, how much of your well-being can you sacrifice in order to earn enough money to live here? And I think that, you know, whether you're talking about people who are bankers or corporate lawyers or management consultants, it's, you know, you could say it for a whole range of uh, um, professions, it's really just like how much sleep are you willing to give up? How much are you willing to skip the gym? Um, how many meals are you willing to go out with clients? How much are you willing to go out drinking with clients? Um, how much are you willing to tolerate being in like a very overt hierarchy where there are people who have money and people who work for people who have money? Um, it's, it's tough. And I think that that's probably, um, although I do think that's, that's pretty consistent across, um, across everybody who's here is like, you know, are you, how do you deal with that system? Which, you know, most people find kind of upsetting. How do you tell people to manage that? Because living in New York, and I've lived in other places, there's definitely a, a quicker, a faster way of life. Uh, you know, there's certainly an affordability factor. There is, if you're a professional, there is the sense that in order to live comfortably in New York City, you have to work yourself to the bone. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because one of the things that um, I, I found was, it was like when I first was here, I, I, I actually didn't realize that, which is ironic considering like now I spend, if I'm in the city, I spend most of my time downtown, but I actually didn't know there was anything below first. <laughs> I just, no, because I just, I never really went downtown, which again is ironic because now I don't really go above certain places when I do things, when I go out. But, you know, I, in the same way, like I didn't realize that people could make more than like a million dollars a year. And so I, I just, I had no concept of, and this was for years, like even when I was practicing, like I'd have people who were, again, like corporate lawyers or accounting, you know, like who were making what I, I just heard, you know, like what they were making. And I was just like, wait, how could you feel like inferior to anywhere? Like you're making huge amounts of money. And it was only like after I'd been here for about 10 years that I had any concept of like the amount of money that certain people would make and I was like oh and like and I didn't even really understand the the business structure like I I just kind of like you know anybody who's in business was in this just kind of world where everybody kind of did the same thing but as I became more and more aware of what was happening I it, it was really striking to me like how much time even you know uber successful people are spending in the presence of people that they consider like far more successful, whether or not it was because they, you know, they are actually just more, you know, uh, they're better at their jobs or they inherited money. Whatever the reason yeah, is, is the, that, the ladder just keeps going up. Yeah, it's just they, 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 you know. But there's a lot of people who service a lot of people with even more, and so you know, it, it, it was. It took me a long time to figure that out. It also took me a long time to figure out the, you know, as an example, like you know, when when. Uh, when my, we watch my son or daughter play sports. So let's say my son's playing baseball and it's like, you know, he's, if, if like someone throws the ball over the plate, it's hit, it is fielded, and then it's thrown to first. It doesn't matter whether the kids, I would say, like all the parents are like screaming, like, this is real baseball. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's, um, you know, like we're just like so thrilled that, you know, what we're watching is quote unquote real. It seems very similar to, you know, Manhattan real estate, which is that, you know, when people get more and more money, it just gets them closer to having what many people consider to be uh, 
a, a kind of regular like oh I like I can I can have a kitchen oh I can have a dining room like I have a I, I could have a, a garage for a car obviously that's for people you know who have a certain amount of wealth but it's a very similar concept where there's you know the, the, the mentality is like oh all like these people care about is like having things and it's like no they just, they just want to get to you know what they consider to be a, a more comfortable living situation you know and so that was something that was very um, eye-opening for me was that I always just assumed that people who you know wanted more money was because they just wanted like a whole bunch of stuff but a lot of it is just to stay in the the social strata that, that you know they, they grew up in or that they aspire to right. and it just it really is only at these like even more obscene levels of wealth that people really start like piling on more stuff and that just to me that was just like I didn't grow up that way I had no concept of it and I think I probably had a few on you know like unempathic moments with people with whom I work because I really like legitimately didn't understand what they were talking about you know so it, that's taken me like a long, it's taken me yeah, a long time I, to learn unfortunately I don't know that I've learned that yet yeah. I think if someone making millions of dollars a year came to me and I was in your shoes and had issues I would just kind of be like what are you talking about yeah well and that's and that's the thing that that was also about the social stuff is that a lot of the anxieties that people would have would again not be about status or not, not status per se, but can they like where the, you know, you're with these people all the time. And one of the things that's so great, you know, I should say one of the things that was so horrible about high school and, and junior high is, is not so much that there's like people of all bullies, or there's people who aren't nice or people who make you feel a certain way. It's just that you're, you're, you're kind of trapped with them. Like, in other, you know, like, like there's, you know, especially like when, when I grew up, it was, you know, there's no, no internet, you know, there's no, you don't really have a sense of like a broader world in, in, a, in a, you know, in any kind of real way. Yeah. Well, this and is your so, home for the next four years, whether you like it or not. And you're right. And you're, and you're like, like, it's like, these are the people with whom you have to eat lunch. And these are the people that you would have to play with after school. And these are the people who you're going to be compared to. And it's just, and I think that it's a, it, it seems very similar here. In the sense that there's a lot of, you know, you're you're kind of locked in to a large degree with a lot of the same people, and you're seeing the same people over and over and over again. Now, granted, like that can happen in any, you know, in any town or any work environment. But again, I just I I didn't conceptualize how much it was happening for people who had money. You know what I mean? It just again, it didn't it didn't make any sense to me. And so uh, it's it's. You know, and I'm still learning about it. I think it also, like, helped me to not always just judge people, like, you know, based on if, if I don't, I think it, it even further, it's like if I don't understand something to not, to just be aware of whatever my biases are. Um, you know, that, that's, culturally, that's a very big thing now, you know, people's biases, who have and who have not. And, you know, I, I probably politically share a lot of those uh, biases, unfortunately, but it's, you know, it's important when I, you know, when I'm working with people to really kind of see them for what, you know, I think like they're trying to get in the world. And I think at whatever level, male, female, rich, poor, whatever, there's a lot of people who are just, you know, trying to find their place in the world, trying to build a community. And it seems like it's hard. It's kind of hard all over the place. And do you think that people make it harder than it needs to be? I, th I, I actually, I, I, it's almost the opposite. Like, I actually am surprised now that anybody makes it work when they see how complicated it is because it, it's 
I think one of the things that's you know you think about like all the all the pieces that need to go together, right? I think I think one of the things that was probably horrible, you know, years and years ago, but made things more simple was that we didn't really have very much choice. You know what I mean? We didn't have you know, we didn't have choice across the board. Like everybody kind of did similar things and was forced to do similar things. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't buy into that, well, you were just, you know, you weren't a part of, of whatever. Um, but now I think that one of the things that's much better is that we all have choice. We have choice in terms of our own identities. We have choice in terms of where we can live and who we can connect with and in what ways we want to connect. But when you really think about it, like it requires... First of all, you have to have like a, a really good understanding of yourself, which you may not even have until well, well later into your life. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to have a sense of who you are, what you're about, and you know how you like to connect. And that, all those things may change over time. Then you have to have, for lack of a better saying, access to people who may or may not be you know like-minded or like to connect in the same ways. You have to sift through all of that. And figure out all the you know, and go through all the trials and the the hits and misses of that. Um, then you know, as things in your life change and who you are and who's around you, you know, whether it's people who are sick or die or divorce or like, and just and I think about it and it's like, man, like I just I I just don't know how anybody makes it work. <laughs> um, and so it's it's I I think that. From, from where I'm sitting, it's incredibly complicated. And, and that's to a degree why I think it's so important that people work on figuring, like work on these things and sort of just accept the fact that it's not easy. You know, I think that it, it's one of the things that makes it so difficult for people is that it's portrayed as though it's easy. It's like every, you know, like everyone just like is born and they immediately know what they're you know, their gender identity is and their sexuality is and they know what their interests are and they know what their place in the world is and the people around them are like are supportive and you know or at the very least if they're not supportive they eventually become supportive and you have your you know friends that you grew up with and then you have your friends from either school or if you get a job and then you have like you naturally meet a partner and it's just you know and then when you know you're not it's not happening that way for you, right? Then all of a sudden you feel even worse. And, you know, at least from my perspective is that just, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be happening that way for a lot of people. And I think even when people have that in the most overt sense, like on the, on, and not on the surface, I don't want to make it seem like anyone who's, who's figured it out is, is superficial. It's just, but even within that context, it's, it's, it, you know, you could be, I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's plenty of people who are, they're married, they have kids, they, they have jobs, they have friends, and, and at the center of that, they feel absolutely empty and alone. Oh, yeah. And it's not because, you know, of any, you know, sometimes it's because of a mental health thing, sometimes it's because they're having trouble connecting, sometimes it's because of, you know, some circumstance that's changed in their life. So when I think of all the moving pieces, I, again, I'm, I'm just very surprised that, at people being able to make any of this work. And so, you know, I, I enjoy the process of trying to help people make it work because I know for myself and I see with, with other people just how good it feels when it does. But I think you have to have a very healthy respect for the fact that a lot of times it, it doesn't. You know, it's, it's, I, think it's, I think it's very responsible to consider the ways that we may contribute to that in some kind of negative way. But you got to be careful about being 
responsible and always improving your game with just sort of coming down on yourself and being like, all right, you, you suck and you're a loser and you're, you know, this is never going to work out for you because, you know, there's no, there's no real great end game for that. It's so interesting to me that we are almost conditioned to believe that certain things are going to happen in a certain sequence and there is this very specific end game that we think we're all supposed to reach where you have a partner, you have two and a half kids and a dog and a house in the suburbs and you make however much money you need to maintain all that and like that's sort of the yellow brick road and it's so not based in reality. Life is a lot messier than that. And I, I, I don't know if it's a sign of the times that people are realizing that things don't really work out that way or if it's just me like growing up seeing things in a different light and being like, oh yeah, that's not the way that things are supposed to work out. And it's fine. It's, yeah, and, and it's, hard, it's hard to tell ourselves that it's fine when it doesn't always feel good. So in other words, like I, I think that there there are situations where someone is choosing their path and they're fine with it, and then other people are like, well, how come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? And that I think to a certain degree people can kind of um, protect themselves from because the the quote unquote truth is is leading the way, you know. So if, you know, let's say someone like, oh, you should get, you know, you should get married, but you don't want to. Or, oh, you should have this number of friends, but you don't want to. And you should do these things, but you like doing those things. But you're basically waking up every morning and be like, I'm, I'm kind of psyched about my life. Right. That, that can, I think people are getting better and better at pushing that away because I think that there's more and more opportunities to find other people who are doing similar things. I think the problem is, is when... You're, you're not conforming to what you see as society, uh, societal norms and, and you yourself forgetting the pressure are not happy. It's forgetting the like judgment about it. Like you're actually not happy. I think that's when people feel like, you know, like I want a significant other, but I don't have one. The added pressure, like you're quote unquote supposed to have a significant other makes it worse. But in some ways it's, it's very difficult because you're like, I, like, I don't really like the standard, but I kind of find myself like gravitating towards it, but I'm not accomplishing it. It's just like, oh, it's like, oh man, now, now what? You yeah, know? it just turns into a mindfuck kind of. It is something of a mindfuck. Um, <laughs> and that's, and that's very tough. And so you always try to start with the fundamental premise of like, can you see yourself as someone who is going for things and you're, you're, you're embracing the process as something to which you connect, not just the outcomes. You know, so it's like, you know, are you, you kind of think about some like basic principles. Are you someone who's trying to achieve things in the world or be productive in some ways? Like, what are the ways you like to do that? What are the ways that you enjoy having fun? What are the ways you like to connect to people? What are the ways that you like being healthy or like, you know, taking care of, of your body? What are the ways that you like doing things for others? You know, just kind of thinking through like, what are the, what are the key things that tend to really resonate with you or the key process and think of them as, as processes rather than just outcomes, you know, so that you can connect to the process. Like today I'm going to go out and I'm going to be productive in the ways that I like. Maybe I'll get feedback that I did a good job. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll get, you know, the job I platform. Maybe I won't, but I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, really focus on getting into the process that I find tends to work a little bit better for people, but it's difficult because it's hard to have faith in that process if you're not getting at least some degree of 
So uh, result. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 the part that gets very very tricky for people because if you've had at least some history of getting results, it's easier to to engage in that and to believe in in a process focused model. But if you're someone who's really not, you know, not getting any results for whatever reason, that's when it, it becomes tough for people to buy into that because they're like, I mean, how do you want me to feel good about just doing something that, if, that, you know, doesn't go anywhere. And so that's, that's tricky. You try to encourage people to say that like, no, like a lot of times things can go, you know, you have to kind of maneuver so that there are things that can go, you know, you can be healthy in a variety of circumstances. You can connect in a variety of ways, you could be productive in a variety of ways. Right. Um, it, but it's but it's it's tough, you know, because yeah. everyone has those models in their head. Yeah, I feel like we live in a society that amplifies winning the game over actually playing the game. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, and it's tough because you know it, you really. I think the other thing that's just so tough is that until you're really on your deathbed, there's like no way. Right. How do you know whether you've won or lost? No. You ne- you honestly never. I don't think you ever really know. No, no, right. And even after the fact, like, you don't, you don't know. I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 you know, well after we're all gone that, that anyone's going to really be able to look at, okay, like what was, you know, did these things work a certain way? I mean, you know, look at how we debate history now. There, there are certain facts that are, that are there and we still debate it as though we have no idea. So it's like, how are we going to figure out whether our lives were successful? Yeah. You know, like uh, not to mention the fact that we won't be around to do it, but you know, I think a lot of people as they get older, they also despair for that reason because not only, you know, are they not a hundred percent sure whether they were successful, you know, but they, they don't really know how to even evaluate it. Um, and it's, it's, it's rough. So getting back to that original question, like, it's to me. It's it's just. I, I think I wouldn't go as far as say it's a miracle per se, but it's really impressive when anyone when anyone gets it figured out because it uh, to me it just seems like really really tough. So you've been in practice now what, twenty years. You said thereabouts. Uh, yeah, I've been here for about fifteen. Been in Rhode Island uh, previously, and so I've, I've been licensed, I guess, for over twenty years. Yeah. What brings you the most satisfaction about your job? <laughs> I think I think unfortunately I I really like talking with people about interesting topics and I know like that's not like I'm not supposed that's not supposed to be like I'm not here for the people I work with to it's not about like entertainment per se you know I don't want someone to be like hey like tell interesting stories so that I can be entertained <laughs> right. but I, I genuinely enjoy people a lot and I enjoy getting into the important topics of their life I just I, I don't know like I just find it inherently fascinating and inherently engaging and um, you know, I think that the having like building up those connections with people with whom I've worked and you know, sometimes I've worked with people for years and kind of gone through different parts of their life, that, that to me is really what, what drives me. Like it's, it's, it's not like for me, like I'm, I have like a particular passion. Like I don't want anyone in the world to panic or something like that, you know, or I don't, I don't want anyone to be depressed. Like, I don't, it's not really like sort of issue focused. But I love, like, you know, getting into the things with people where they have that moment where they, they figure out, hopefully, at least at that moment in time, what they're about. And then that, it, you know, that kind of starting to make it happen and watching that transition from feeling lost to feeling like, I, I think I got a handle on this. And it's just, 
you know, I think it's, it's personally, it's very satisfying from, I guess, from a professional standpoint, but I just, I just personally enjoy, I enjoy that in my personal life as well. You know, I've never really done as well with like the idea of like, oh, let's get together and like watch a game or something is not really for me. You know what I mean? Not that I don't enjoy games. It's just like, but if I'm, if I'm going to do that, I kind of want, I want to talk about something. You know what I mean? So even if you don't want to just sit there in silence. No, I mean, it's like sometimes it's okay. It's just, it's not, it's just not like, I wouldn't say that that's my, like as an example, that's something that took me a long time to figure out because a lot of people seem to enjoy that sort of thing. I would much rather have like a one-on-one hanging out, like what's going on in your life than, you know, being at a party where I like with 10 different people that I catch up a little bit. Not that I don't enjoy that, but it's just not, it's not as much my thing. So I feel like, you know, in my professional life, I get to do that multiple times a day, you know, and, it, you know, so for me, I, you know, I very much look forward to going into work because I feel like that's, that's my jam. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you have a job, particularly a job like that, it helps to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause it's funny because when, when I first, when I first started going into this, people would talk about like therapist burnout. I have to imagine that is super, super real. I it, no, and I, I, I believe that it is. It's just I, I personally, I think, I think one of the things that changed for me was like I, the way I practice. Like I, I think early on when I started doing more private practice, I realized that a lot of the things that I had adopted, you know, kind of like either a blank slate therapist or being very like formal. I just, I don't know. Like I felt like it wasn't. I don't know, it wasn't me and it wasn't really particularly working, you know, because I think there was, you know, for a lot of what makes a, a therapeutic relationship effective is the relationship. Like you need to know that you're like with a person. And so a lot of the things that I had adopted because I thought that was what a therapist was supposed to be, uh, are things I, I kind of just, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to talk to people the exact same way I would talk to them. You know, I mean, probably be a little bit, I'll be more professional, you know, as I'm not going to be making like inappropriate jokes with <laughs> patients all the time, like, but like, but so things that I might do in my personal life, but at, in general, like I, I pretty much am just myself. And so I think that I find that, you know, over the course of a day I've spent, you know, I've had however many conversations with someone as me. And so I, I don't really find that. I don't find that draining. I actually, I actually find that kind of invigorating. So I might be physically tired by the end of the day, especially if it's, you know, a commute and all that. But as far as the enjoyment of the time, I look forward to my days because of that. And so it was interesting because again, like burnout was almost the exact opposite of what was happening. Like I actually felt energized by, by the work. Um, you know, so that, that's been, that was, that was a big change from what I thought was going to happen. Um, so I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with that. That's you know. an awesome thing. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about masculinity and what that means now versus what it may have meant 20 or 30 or 40, however many years ago. You know, I've been thinking about a lot about this, not just because of the podcast, but someone brought up uh, just the whole idea of t- there being toxic masculinity. Hmm. And I'm just curious what your thoughts about, you know, the things that have happened over the last couple of years and the, the terminology of toxic masculinity and there needing to be some kind of change. From a societal perspective, the term toxic masculinity, I think, has a lot of value. You know, I think on a personal level, it's a little trickier because I think when you're dealing with people, you have to be careful. Sometimes if you have certain, 
you know, sociocultural or political views, it, it runs the risk of not allowing someone to have the space to explore things that are uncomfortable. Sure. So it's, it's always, it's always very tricky with, with those concepts because what one of the things that is, is the fundamental nature of what I do is listening to people talk about not only the most like kind of embarrassing or shameful things, but things that are, that are actually problematic, not only on a personal level, but played out on a societal level are, are, you know, really problematic. And so I, I think that, um, you know, toxic masculinity as a, as a, as a label, you know, it's unfortunate that, that we need that label, but I, I think it's unfortunately true that it's something that we need to look at and something that we kind of need to focus on, um, how it plays out individually in terms of making it better. Cause I, I, I tend to think more on an individual level, like how, if there's something that is, is again, quote unquote, toxic masculinity that's emerging in someone, what are the ways of, of helping that, you know, because the truth is from what I see is that it's not like it feels good to be somebody who, you know, does a variety of, of things, um, that would, you know, fall under that category. So it's, I think that it's very, very tricky to balance out, like, how do you judge it appropriately on a societal level and judge it when someone individually behaves that way, but then have the openness in, you know, in a session to someone to feel like, okay, like, well, if you're going to judge me for it, but how are we going to have a safe space to explore it? Yeah. And that's, that's very tricky because, you know, whether I'll, I'll, you know, like write about certain things. And sometimes people have read things that I've written or interviews that I've done. And, you know, it's not that tricky to figure out some of my perspectives on things. Sure. And so it's, it's, that's something that I also have to deal with a lot of times is that, you know, how do I hold someone accountable for behavior that's damaging to themselves and others without judging them along the way, like kind of joining and like, look, let's, let's be curious rather than critical about this. But at the end of the day, you do have to understand that there are just certain things that however you get to the point of doing, you, you, they're going to be very negative consequences, not only for other people, but you know, if you're held accountable for you and that's, uh, that's rough. That's a very rough thing because, um, those are often the times, those the areas where people feel the most shame or defensiveness or whatever. And so it's, um, not easy. I can't imagine it being easy. Uh, for even just remaining objective in your job, which is, I mean, I, I assume that's kind of a requirement. I, I don't, I don't feel, I mean, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty straightforward with people. If they're doing something that I don't like, I, I, I kind of, I, I pretty much say, cause I just don't see the benefit of my being quote unquote objective. Like I'll just say, I'm look, I'm going to declare a bias. I think, you know, one of the things that's, that's very tricky is like something like infidelity, you know, and that's something that, um, I think that there's a lot of, I think infidelity and toxic masculinity, although I think, you know, infidelity can happen on all sides of an equation, but I certainly am very direct with people by being like, look, forgetting, like, like I, I have a personal bias that I don't think it has a real good place in a relationship, but where, you know, I'll say it directly, but what I definitely think is, is if you look at everything that surrounds it, like the lying, the cheating, and like, I'll be like, listen, like you're, you're like, you're lying to me, you know? So if you think that you're just doing this in this little bubble, like, oh, your life is all, you know, you're being honest and you're being truthful and you're being genuine and you're being kind 
but then you're just going to go do this thing on the side. <laughs> you know, I'll say, look, like I'm, I, I'll tell you my biases. I don't think that that's really possible. But if you tell me that that's the way you want to live your life and you've thought through, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. But you should know that I, I don't think that that's that's the way this should go. And so, you know, we, you know, usually can like kind of work come to some reasonable understanding, like a working model of like, look, there's two people here who who may think very differently about a topic that happens with a lot of political issues as well. Um, I, I tend to fall more on one side of things politically and I'll work with a lot of people who do not. And it's, I'll spend time talking with them about, you know, when they're getting, especially in today's climate. And there's a lot of things about toxic masculinity in today's political climate where, you know, someone is doing something they're they're not sure why people are having such a negative reaction. And I'll, you know, sort of explain, look, you know, I have a bias, like this is your political views are not mine. Like I'll have a knee-jerk reaction, but even, even so, let me explain to you like what is being seen so that you can at least have all the, the data to make your choices. You know, you could say that you don't think it's fair that someone judges you because you voted for this person or that person or, but you know, you should at least know what's probably being conceptualized. And I can say that a little bit more because I'm probably one of those people that when we were at a dinner party, <laughs> sure. I'd probably be thinking that. That's, I, I tend not to be super, like, just neutral, you know, like, about it. But, you know, I also hopefully am, like, modeling for people, like, look, you can, you can have, you can come in with biases that are declared and still have something of a constructive process. You know, I don't know if any of us are, you know, entirely objective and neutral because we're all coming in with a lot of biases mm-hmm. but at least you know and especially if like and look you know if I'm in some ways it can be even better because if I'm someone who I'm declaring is one of those people who maybe would think something about you because of your political views if we can have a constructive discussion maybe that opens up the opportunity for you to have a you know constructive discussion with someone who's also has my you know my background and my belief system so, and so in, that, in those ways, I think it's, it's, I find it's better to just declare it rather than try to pretend, you know, watch them have like my face contort while they say Because <laughs> you know? then they're going to be like, well, what is this guy th- really thinking? Yeah. And I just, I, I always tell people, I was just like, look, ask me whatever you want. I'll tell, if it's something that I really don't want to talk about, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. But for the most part, I'll let people know what I'm thinking about, you know, about a particular topic because I just don't see the benefit of at least the way that I practice, like I, you know, I don't, it's not like I'm doing psychoanalysis. Like it's not, you know, again, the, the relationship is the thing that, that drives it. And so if, you know, how am I going to have a, you know, a relationship with you if I'm not being honest about what's happening? I'm asking you to be like super honest. Right. I'm not going to be honest at all. You know, and some people prefer it that way. Like that's their therapeutic boundary. It's just, it, for me, it, it just hasn't, it doesn't work that as well that way. Yeah, I feel like that would be difficult. My relationships with my therapists, the best ones have been when there is honesty on both sides. When I yeah. feel like the, the person within the realm of professionalism is being as honest with me as I am with them. I mean, and everybody's got different styles and accepts different ways of, of, of that transaction. But for me, it's 100% like if you're keeping it, if I feel like you're keeping it real with me, I'm going to be way more comfortable keeping it real with you. Yeah, and, 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 I'll, and I'll say to people, like, look, like that may not be for you. And I'm, I'm sure that I've lost people along the way because I'll just straight up tell them, I th- they think what you're doing is wrong and I think it's harmful and I'm having trouble figuring out why you're not seeing it. 
And it's like, if you want that kind of therapist, it's like, all right, then that, that might be me. If you want a therapist who, you know, for lack of a better saying, keeps their own shit out of the room, which, which is totally legit. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, then, then I'm just not, I'm not for you because that's not, that's not really how, you know, it's not how I roll. And so, you know, I do think it's good for people just because I do it this way. It doesn't mean that like, you know, there, there aren't, and, and maybe in like you like that, you know, in your therapist, like there may be other people who are like, that just, that just would not work for me. Like as soon as someone started talking about their own feelings, I'd be like, Oh my God, this isn't a safe space, <laughs> which is a very legit, which is, which is completely legitimate. Just, you know, those are the kinds of things you'd ask someone ahead of time. Like, how do you, how do you tend to do things? But even that, I mean, we we're talking before about like connecting and like whatever, I mean, finding a therapist is like, is, is a little microcosm of how difficult that is. You know, you've got to know what you're looking for. Like how someone know what they're looking for in a therapist, unless they've been to a bunch, you know, a bunch of therapists before. Even now, I mean, I've been to a bunch of therapists and I'm mean, very happy with my own therapist. If you listen to this, I'm very happy with you. Not planning on going anywhere. Well done. But the shopping essentially for one, yeah. it can be extremely frustrating. Yeah. And especially if you don't know what you're looking for. When I first decided that I was going to seek help, I went through a bunch of people that were not a good fit. And I didn't know that they weren't a good fit when we started just because I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't know what seeing a therapist was like. Yeah. So what do you think is the most important or one of the most important things that people need to walk away from an experience with you or, or just kind of like take out of life? What are people not seeing? What's the biggest picture that people are not seeing? Yeah. And I think, I think this is whether we're talking about masculinity or whether we're talking about any issue is really that you're, you're figuring out who you are and what you're about and how to set up the processes that are going to make you feel satisfied with your life. Is, is honestly, it's, it can be brutal. I mean, you know, if you're lucky and you feel like from an early age, you know who you are and you know what you're about and you, you do these processes, not only do the processes feel good, but the outcomes are delivered and that's fairly linear and consistent, then that it's fantastic. I don't want anyone to think like, oh, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're in denial or something like that. Sure. You know, I hate, I hate when people do that shit. Like, you know, like there's something, something that I know about you that you don't really know no, about yourself. It's like. But like, I think, I think to just recognize that as much as there are people who, you know, seem like they have it figured out and there are people who have it figured out to some degree, that doesn't mean that you have to have it figured out or that it's, you know, it's, it's something is wrong and permanent if you don't. And just kind of think to yourself, like each day, it's like, how, like, what are the way you're always angling a little bit? Like, what are the ways that I can like understand myself a little bit better you know who am I what am I doing here how can I make that happen and how can I remove the barriers that might get in the way and just kind of just think in terms of I don't mean like small steps like everything has to be small steps sometimes it's great to go for a grand gesture you know what I mean but recognize that generally speaking whether you're you're, you're going big or going home or you're kind of staying more in the moment is that it tends to be something that evolves over time and just commit to the process and, you know, you kind of be grateful for when the outcomes come in and just pay attention. You know, it's like one of the things that we'll say with hardcore humanism is you are your own lab, you know, is to always think of it as an experiment. Like if you're deciding between two things, you know, and you just really don't know, think, okay, what's the experiment I could set up that would make me 
figure this out. You know, I think this person would be a really good friend for me, but I don't know. Maybe this person would be like, okay, well, like, what could you do to try to, to determine that? Or if, like, this is a romantic relationship, or if this is a, a, the type of, you know, profession that you want to pursue, or whatever it is, this type of therapist that you want, is just, you know, always keep thinking that, let me just take a moment to reflect on myself, and let me try to see if I can set things up so that no matter what the outcomes are, I'm either winning or I'm learning. You know, like, so either like, hey, this is great, now I can keep doing this, or this didn't work out quite well. One of, one of my professors in grad school was, you know, in, in, when you do research, a lot of times the only studies that are published are the ones that have, like, positive outcomes, like they find something. Mm. Um, and he said something which I thought was very interesting, which is that if, if an experiment is the right one, the results should matter regardless of whether you find something or you don't find something. And I think that that's very similar just in your life is that when you're, when you're looking to try to figure something out, set it up in a way so that if it works, that's great. But if it doesn't work, you also can really learn something from it. Um, and then you're, you're coming out ahead no matter what. Um, but again, as far as like, you know, you want people to take away is that push yourself to try to figure these things out, but not so much that you, it gets overwhelming and, you know, you don't have to have everything figured out right away it's just I think it works better if you're you're perpetually trying all throughout your life because then you really you can navigate things a lot better thanks for sticking it out with us through this first episode um, we recorded in Dr. Mike's office so the sound wasn't fantastic tried to make it as great as we could for you but uh, you'll definitely hear an improvement in sound quality in future episodes if you would like to get in touch with Dr. Mike, uh, you can go to his website, michaelfriedmanphd.com. That's spelled F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. So michaelfriedmanphd.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, I am on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph. Feel free to follow me or DM me. And you can also email me at detoxpod at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a show, if you want to ask me a question, or if you would like to potentially guest on this show yourself, uh, if you're in the New York City area, it would be great because we could do it in person. But if you have an interesting story about masculinity, hit me up. Once again, that email is detoxpod at gmail.com. Hope you all take care of yourselves, and thanks for listening. Peace out, y'all.